With so many World War II games on the market, it can be tough to come up with a new sound, but not for composer Lenny Moore. Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. For his upcoming score for an expansion to Red Orchestra II called Rising Storm, Lenny took influence from American composers Charles Ives and Aaron Copland. Lenny also talks about his music for the 1999 game called Outcast. Turns out, Outcast is one of the first game scores to use a real orchestra. Lenny is a teacher at heart, currently helping students at UCLA learn how to write adaptive music. He's learned a thing or two in his 25-plus years composing for film, TV, and games. And after our conversation, stick around for some important news regarding changes to Top Score in the future. I want to talk to you, first of all, kind of about your ubiquity, as it were, in in various projects. And we're going to focus mostly on games, but you've had an opportunity to do quite a bit of other things, which is probably pretty important for you as a composer to have that kind of versatility, I would imagine. I would agree. Uh, for me, it's um, it's sort of a a funny little selfish thing. I don't like being bored, you know, and I like doing a variety of things. Um, my background, uh, I went to college at Berklee College of Music in Boston. I studied jazz composition and I've just been fascinated with music and exp- in expressing yourself through music as a composer since I was really young. I was probably, I was probably 11 when I started taking it seriously, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a strange thing to say. I think yeah. most people figure this out later in life. But I kind of knew early on what I wanted to be doing, and uh, I just listened to so much music, classical music and jazz and, and rock and roll. And After a period of time, then, mm-hmm. along comes Outcast, and, and you're after you get out of school, and, and you're flown to Belgium, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd gotten out of college, and I was uh, working, doing a lot of uh, film and television stuff as an orchestrator and as a composer, doing a lot of small independent projects. And uh, this Belgian game developer uh, named Appeal posted a little notice on a news group saying, hey, they're looking for a composer, a Hollywood composer, to uh, to score their game. And I'd never done a game before, but it looked fascinating. And it was it seemed like an opportunity to do something with the real orchestra, mm-hmm. which I always loved doing. I did a lot of orchestrations for other composers in Los Angeles uh, for like film and TV, where we would have live musicians all the time. So that's kind of what I did. Mm-hmm. But with this uh, Belgian game developer... They were looking for somebody kind of like me, and I said, I'm the guy, and here's some of my music, and uh, sent them a bunch of music uh, that I'd written for an atom bomb documentary that shows on the (laughs) History Channel all the time, and uh, it's called Trinity and Beyond, and uh, so, you know, I sent them some of that stuff, and and it's all scary atom bomb music, and and they really liked it, and I I think also at the time, uh, the timing was kind of really perfect for me, and also for the game industry, the... A lot of the game industry at that time was still doing um, what's called general MIDI music. Mm-hmm. So it was all like basically a, a synthesized version of an orchestra being played out of a sound card on a computer. So to do something using live musicians at the time was it was one of the first games that had a live orchestra on it. There were a few before me, but uh, uh, that was a joy, you know. And the other part of that was that we recorded 
The orchestra we recorded was the Moscow Symphony Orchestra and Chorus. The atom bomb music that I had done was recorded with this Moscow group, so uh, we went there and, and had a really, really good time recording uh, some really fun music. is some of the lengths of the cues. And I was really fascinated by how much music they tried to use in the game and how much music at the time used to be put in games and how innovative they were with, like, putting a full hour in. Can you explain that? Yeah. Um, the early games, everything was on this sort of, like, cartridge. It was a, like a memory cartridge that had all the game stuff on it, and you, it was a circuit board, basically, and you plugged it into the system. And So memory was always limited, and then... Uh, around the late 90s, there was a lot more CD, you know, like, you know, I don't know if people remember, you know, like, the mid to late 90s, you know, like, more and more personal computers had a CD-ROM, mm-hmm. a CD player on it. Mm-hmm. And so that was the hot tech at the time. Yeah. And what the developers were doing, they were going to try and fit uh, the entire game programming, which includes all the graphics, the artwork, the code, <laughs> the sound design, and the music onto two CDs total. So what they figured was they could fit 60 minutes of music plus the video game program on one CD. In that game, there were five worlds or regions that you could travel around in. and They wanted these really long uh, ambient compositions to work as you're wandering around exploring and talking to people in the game and so that you know it was kind of a surprise when I got there and they're like you know we'd like to do uh, these seven minute long pieces so I was like oh that's cool that's a lot of room to really stretch and do things and then you know a few minutes of battle music here and there you know so the length of the cues was really about this idea that they wanted to really maximize how much they could fit on the CD Mm -hmm. Uh, I think at that time most people were doing 20 minutes of music maybe 30 tops for a video game. And for me as a composer, it's, it's, it was a joy to be able to develop themes and really work them and expand on them and have an hour of music to play with as far as, you know, versus distilling it down to something a little tighter. Your background, you you touched on a little bit, Mm -hmm. is largely in jazz. And then a little bit later, you started studying orchestration and things like that. And now it seems like it appears as though you spend a lot more time Mm -hmm. with orchestral music now than than jazz. Is that an accurate? That's extremely accurate. (laughs) Um, It's it's all good. It's all fun. Uh, The 
I, I started studying orchestral music when I started orchestrating for other composers doing the film and TV things. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm like, oh, I need to learn more about this. And so it was all self-study on, on the orchestral side of things. I just, and uh, like a crazy man, the first score that I started studying uh, was my favorite composer at the time, which was Igor Stravinsky, and it was Rite of Spring. It's not like I could have picked something easier <laughs> yeah. to, to, to get my head like around. Mozart or you know, like something. Mozart <laughs> or something like that. It's like, um, so I go for Stravinsky. And, yeah. yeah, but maybe that says something about me. And um, But it was, honestly, it was the perfect thing to start looking at because mm -hmm. it was one of my favorite orchestral pieces, and I loved it so much. So to be able to dig into it and really study it and, and look at how he developed his ideas and how he orchestrated everything and, and, and arranged everything, uh, how he did his pacing, mm -hmm. all, all that kind of stuff. His exposition is his brilliant stuff. You do a lot of teaching as well, and uh, one of the things that you talk about is intentionality. Can you talk about that for just a moment? Yeah. Um, when I was a teenager, I was this weird kid in high school who used to, like, write big band charts in the middle of English class, and the English teacher would just look at me like, what are you doing? And, you know, so I felt kind of like the, you know, the weird kid and stuff like yeah. that. And then I, I grew up in the uh, Seattle area up in Washington State, and they had this state-sponsored program called Centrum Workshops, which is like a two-week camp for young composers and musicians to get together and work with professionals studying music and uh, composing th pieces and performing pieces. And it was just, you know, the best way I describe it is where I found my peeps, you know, because I was this <laughs> weird, awkward kid. And I go to this camp and there's all these people just like me. During one of those camps, there was... Um, the composer in residence that for the composing side of stuff, the jazz composing side of it, was Toshiko Akiyoshi, who was a big band leader in the 70s. Brilliant composer. And for some weird reason, only three of us had signed up for the composing jazz course that summer. So it was just three of us with this amazing woman. And one of the things that she told us, she was, you know, it was like a sunny day and she didn't want to be indoors. And she goes, let's go outside, bring your scores. And so we all went outside and hung around a picnic bench. And then she's like looking at my score and she's pointing to a particular bar of music that I wrote. And she's like, why is this here? Why are you doing that? And I'm looking at this bar of music and kind of analyzing it a little bit. And um, I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, why is that there? Why did you put those notes in that configuration, you know, all that? And I said, well, I don't know. I kind of like it. <laughs> and she's like, good enough. And so the intentionality thing, she... The word she uses, you have to have an intention as to why something's on the page. And it's something that's always stuck with me and um, is sort of is something that's just in my bones as far as the way I approach music and writing. That my definition when I think about composition is it's controlling sound over time. Mm -hmm. 
your newest project uh, that we can talk about and that yeah. is coming out is uh, for Red Orchestra 2. And I've had the chance to hear some of it, which is it's just absolutely gorgeous music. Love it and can't wait to hear it implemented yeah. in the game, actually. But this is a World War II game. Yeah, it's it's, it's called uh, Red Orchestra 2. It's an expansion pack called Rising Storm. Mm-hmm. It's by Tripwire. The audio director, Chris Rickwood, was... Uh, you know, the guy that brought me into the project, and I'm just really appreciative because it's been just so much fun to work on it. They gave you some really interesting, I don't want to say direction necessarily, but... You can say that. Yeah, direction. Yeah, let's let's hear about that. Yeah. Uh, the other composer on the project, and who's the, the audio director for the project, is uh, this guy Chris, and, and he was talking to me on the phone, and he goes, you know, I'd like you to do this project, and, you know, we're thinking of doing something a little unusual for, uh, like, a wartime shooter. We're, we're thinking maybe mixing something between Ives' unanswered question and uh, Lincoln uh, Portrait by Copeland. And it's, you know, set in World War II, and it's the music that I was writing for the game was for the U.S. side. And uh, I don't try and photocopy... Copeland, it's impossible for me to do that. Sure. It's Copeland's Copeland, and I'm me. That's the best <laughs> way I can say it. It's, it's just like, I just do what I do, but I can be informed by the tonal language of what Copeland was was building in a lot of those pieces, or you know, like an unanswered question. It's just a beautiful dialogue mm-hmm. um, uh, between the strings and the woodwinds and the trumpet in that piece. And I thought having a solo trumpet in the score as a feature with the orchestra was a good way to go. It seemed a very Americana kind of approach. The other thing uh, that strikes me about the Red Orchestra 2 Rising Storm score is the lack of elements that tend to be present these days in shooter scores. It's very orchestral, what you wrote. We didn't want that sort of, you know, there's definitely a stylistic thing of sort of this expectation with war games that there's that sort of military percussion sound. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, there kind of goes two ways. It's the military thing, like, you know, almost like the fife and drum thing goes back to the revolutionary periods, (laughs) you know, or it's that very modern sound that you see in in like the Call of Duties and things like that where it's it's a highly stylized mix mm-hmm. that is I call it percussion forward so okay. it's very much in your face it's yeah. exciting sound but it's not like what you call a concert hall approach right. at all so so we tried to avoid very specifically writing a lot of percussion and letting the rest of the orchestra kind of do most of the work which is very much like concert music and to me that's also the goal of elegant orchestration is to just have the right colors at the right time in the right yeah. moment to tell the story. And it's not high action scoring. It's very pastoral at times, and it sounds mm-hmm. almost against yeah. the character, right. which is really fun. It's just been such a pleasure. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much, Emily. 
Thanks for listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese, and the technical director is Johnny Vince Evans. Some important changes to tell you about. From here on out, episodes of Top Score will be five minutes maximum length. We're going to begin broadcasting these new five-minute episodes on the radio, and that's good news. And you'll still be able to download those shows. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr at Top Score Podcast, and you can find a link to leave me feedback directly at classicalmpr.org slash topscore. Thank you.